Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, November 24th. Following budget adjustment deliberations this week, Calgary City Council passed the 2024 budget, and it means a residential property tax hike for Calgary homeowners. We get the details from Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Next, it's Bullying Awareness Week. We take the opportunity to learn about a very unique local organization called Bullying Ends Here and hear the personal story of the man who created it, Tad Millmine. And finally, colder weather is in the forecast, and that means it's the perfect time to curl up with a good book. Our friend Ryan Smith from Owl's Nest Books joins us to recommend some must-read books just in time for the holidays. Calgary homeowners can expect an almost 8% residential property tax hike. That after a week of budget deliberations by Calgary City Council. Joining us to talk about the budget deliberations is Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Good morning, Madam Mayor. Good morning, Sue. A little bit of a tough one to swallow for a lot of people. Times are tough. We all know that. You and Council know that. But that's what was decided. Can you kind of break down the process that happened this week? There were quite a few days of deliberations. How, How do things start and how do you get to that final number? I think you nailed it right there, Sue, when you said this was tough. This is a very difficult budget. This is a difficult decision for Council to make. And the reason that we are in this position is because we spent years making cuts and uh, we use Band-Aid solutions like one-time temporary funding to fix some pretty serious and complicated problems. And we fell into the trap um, where we entered the race to be the order of government that was slashing our budget the most, to look like heroes. And it's actually been a losing prospect because we'll have lost access to services. We have buildings that are in very poor condition, sometimes with roofs that are either caving in or critical infrastructure is at its expiry point. And we've got a situation in this city where there are people who are unhoused, where people are feeling unsafe, and people are struggling with mental health and addiction. So the investments we made in the budget are designed to tackle those things, many of which should be a joint responsibility with the province and the federal government. You know, it is tough. I know that as a Calgarian, you don't have your head in the sand, Madam Mayor, and you understand that the cost of living is very high right now. It is tough times for Canadians, well, for Calgarians for that matter. Um, so you might get some pushback. How do you respond to criticisms that now is not the time, or is it a case from your viewpoint that there never is a good time for a tax shift or any increase? I think governments that are doing their job responsibly have a plan to do things incrementally over time. But the problem is people don't always vote for the right thing. People will often vote to look good in the eyes of the people who will reelect them. And I think that's the issue that we've had for a very long time. And that's a very blunt statement to make, but I can tell you that happens. And so what we have tried to do in this budget is build important things into the base so that we don't need to find you know, money coming in from investment income or local access fees to do things for one year and then have that same debate again. This was a really tough decision to make. It is going to be a tough one for people to wrap their arms around. We had to do it because people need some consistency of service and some predictability of what they can expect. Going back to your uh, previous comment, do you feel like the province didn't step in then and it's partly their responsibility and why the city is having to boost um, you know, the fees and, and the budget, etc., because the province has not done their part? I would say the provincial and federal governments have not done their, their part over time. We issued a report in September that explained Our municipality has a $311 million funding gap every single year, and municipalities across this country are in the same shape. So we've been asking for a better deal from the feds as well as the province, 
And I can tell you, we're putting in $6 million to mental health and addiction. We're putting another $3.5 million in for fire and emergency response because our firefighters are the ones that are responding to emergency calls, medical calls. And we've had to make investments into transit safety to the tune of $15 million and housing. We're in for $81 million to match what we approved in our housing strategy. And I'm really hoping those two orders of government look at this and say, we've let them down and we're coming in to partner and we are going to ease the burden that's on people. Madam Mayor, you, you mentioned specifically uh, safety on public transit, but in general, in, in broader terms, addressing public safety on, on city streets. Uh, any monies going toward that? We funded the uh, Calgary Police Service budget to the amount that re they requested for the four-year plan. And uh, they came forward this year and answered the question of, do you have enough resources? And uh, Chair Burnett and Chief Newfeld both said, yes, we are in a position where we can manage things as they are. And the fact that we've been able to add more peace officers uh, within the city of Calgary has added to CPS's ability to do their job because our peace officers are able to take some of the calls that are better diverted to them. So we saw an integrated model of crisis response, peace officers and police officers working well in the last year. And we think we can carry on with that. Mayor, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, how those funds might be made available, or some of the funds might be made available to uh, and through the Housing Accelerator Fund. Will will some of that money that is now going to be part of the budget increase for us go to affordable housing? Uh, yes, it is absolutely going towards affordable housing. Um, as everyone probably remembers, about two weeks ago, we did an announcement where the federal government gave us $228 million for our Housing Accelerator Fund, types of things that Calgarians can expect one that impacts people directly. You can apply for a grant that allows you to build a secondary suite in your home if you don't have one, a legal and safe suite. The details of that program will come will come out soon. Uh, we also have the ability to provide land and access to funds to purchase land for nonprofit housing providers. And there are other incentives and programs in there for Indigenous people to um, require specialized housing that is culturally appropriate and we will make sure that we work on those measures. And there's a lot of other opportunity in there to ensure that we've got market-based housing as well, uh, very much like we did with the conversion projects downtown, where you've got a mix of both affordable and market-based rental opportunity for Calgarians. So those are the kinds of things we're doing. All right. Uh, we mentioned earlier, uh, Mayor, when we were talking about these uh, taxes, uh, the increase and, of course, the shift, and we said there might be some pushback. We got a, a, a point on the text line that just came in that says, why is this the taxpayer's fault and responsibility? Uh, this is just their words, no name attributed. What do you say to something like that? This is not the fault of taxpayers. Absolutely not. This is a problem with how budgets have been managed in the past. We frankly had not asked our administration when we made $60 million in cuts each year for two years straight. That's $120 million. What happened? And we found out that the maintenance of buildings eroded. Uh, the life cycle maintenance of parks eroded. We weren't able to complete road networks. We weren't doing proper paving. And those are the things that we had to put back into the budget. So this is not the fault of Calgarian taxpayers. However, the services that we need to deliver have to be paid for through property tax, which is the only tool we have. And if I may say, yes, there's only one taxpayer. That is a line that we hear a lot. We agree. Unfortunately, the only 
order of government that is taking that taxpayer seriously and providing you with the services that you need is your local government. Mayor, let's uh, move from that to what's coming up this weekend, the Mayor's Christmas Food Drive kicking off this weekend. Obviously, you know, we talked about it right off the top there. A lot of people are hurting. A lot of people need a little extra help. So how important is the food drive this year? It's really important. It's as important as it was last year, if not more. Uh, We saw the report from the Calgary Foundation where, you know, a third of families are skipping meals or they're making their meals smaller. So anyone who has the means who can provide a donation, either food or cash, to um, Calgary Food Bank, it would be much appreciated. We uh, have a Stuff of Us program last weekend with Calgary Co-op where people could make donations to Calgary Transit buses. That was a great partnership. And next Thursday, we are going to be having the Council Challenge where we go to the food bank and we pack uh, hampers for folks and we raise awareness and we also compete for the Golden Lettuce Award. (laughs) Golden Lettuce Award. Who doesn't want to win that trophy? Fantastic. Thank you so much and good luck with the food drive. Uh, We like what you do there. Uh, Good stuff for the city of Calgary. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good weekend. You too. That is Calgary Mayor Jyoti Gondek. The official Bullying Awareness and Prevention Week wraps up today, but trying to put a stop to bullying never ends for Calgary police officer who started his own organization called Bullying Ends Here. Joining us now is officer, a motivational speaker, best-selling author and member of the Order of Merit, Tad Malamine. Good morning, Tad. Thank you so much for being with us. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, you tour the country talking about bullying. Can you tell us a little bit about your backstory to begin with and how that kind of fired up your passion and this message? Sure. It actually started for a combination of two reasons. One being my own story of, of growing up and having a lot of challenges in school. Uh, bullying was something that took place relentlessly for me on a daily basis. Um, mostly I was an extremely shy person and it only took a few kiddos to, at an early age to figure out that my trigger was all you needed to do was call me a couple of names and I would have broke down in tears to which was quite, uh, uh, quite um, fun, I guess you could call it, for, or entertaining for, for my bullies. So that kind of resonated with me for many, many years. I, I struggled with mental illness as a result of that and, and uh, uh, my home life being neglected and abused there as well. So I kind of didn't have anyone to talk to. I didn't have anyone to look up to. I didn't feel safe anywhere I was. Uh, thankfully, I, I grew out of that with a lot of help and, and perseverance and, and kind of buried it in my past, you know, was living life, being a police officer for me, living the dream. And then in 2011... I was reading the news one evening and and I read about the suicide of Jamie Hubley in Ottawa. And although in my line of work, suicide and mental health, mental illness is something I'm privy to a lot. Um, Reading the news, just like everyone else, you read about it a lot. But there was something about Jamie's story that that night that just really brought a lot of my past back up and was something that I just made a commitment right on that spot to myself of, I'm going to do something about this. And lo and behold, that's how Bullying Ends Here was born. Yes, Tad uh, Milmine with us this morning, founder of Bullying Ends Here. And so, so to get to that point, you have a career, a Calgary police officer. You're an author. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you've, you've done these things. So why was that important and what makes uh, the uh, you know, organization unique? Well, that's quite interesting you ask because when, I mean, I didn't even know Bullying Ends Here was kind of, 
blooming when it started. So it was just after Jamie's passing that um, I was working with the RCMP at the time in, in Surrey, B.C., and I took one of my lunch hours that coincided with one of the high school lunch hours and popped by and just asked the secretary at the school, you know, are there any groups meeting at lunch? And the whole point of me doing that was I just wanted to get a grasp of what it was like to be a student today because I had my own experiences, but obviously a lot has changed in that time. I read about Jamie in school. And then when I went to this class, obviously I was in uniform and here I was thinking I was just going to sit incognito in the back. That doesn't happen. The kiddos are, there was uh, 13 in total in the room. And I started opening up, they started opening up and the questions they were asking me were, were so deep. It was, it was questions like, how am I so fortunate to have have made it through all those challenges and and you know why am i so lucky to to be where i am today and i remember in that moment just thinking these kiddos are looking up to me but they're not looking up to me because i'm tad they're looking up to me because they're looking for adults to look up to and it was that moment that uh, the teacher that was that was watching the class said you know at, at a later date would you mind coming to speak to my class and then it turned into schools and then provinces and then you know governments around the world so that's how it happened it wasn't something i planned or or dreamt of and if you had told me i'd be a public speaker i mean i'm still very shy but it's just something that i've taught myself it's it's best to do because you never know who's in that audience that may benefit so true tad i mean on that note do you hear from kids who either have been bullied or have bullied when you finish speaking to them yes so the one thing I do is, so taking an account, I've, I've spoken directly to, I mean, since 2012, probably close to 1.7 million students. So that's around the world. Um, I always make myself available to anyone. Uh, so Instagram, Facebook, um, any means that kiddos are, are using, my platforms are wide open. And so I receive probably on average about 100, 150 messages every day. Um, I respond back to them. Some of them are from 10 years ago. They just, for whatever reason, my, you know, my presentation has resonated with them on that date. And they just want to remind me that, you know, what it did for them now as a young adult. Um, But the interesting thing is that I do get, you know, self-proclaimed bullies saying, I know I'm a bully but I don't know how to stop it. And they go on to describe the fact that, um, because one thing we have to understand about bullies is they always have to have two things. So they need a target and they must always have an audience. And the kiddos that are reaching out to me are explaining that they feel as though they need to continue being the bully because when they are mean to their target, their audience being their friends, their peer group, are making the bully feel good. It's, you know, they're laughing, they're congratulating, they're patting on the back. So it makes the bully feel as though they're on a pedestal and they don't ever want to lose that, um, you know, that power, one might call it. So I have to, to work with that, that youth to, to understand, first off, it's not mean, it's not a cruel behavior um, that, that these kids are doing. It's, or it, it's not mean or cruel. It's, it's a behavior that they have. So we're not going to change that behavior by simply saying stop. We have to work with that individual on what are the underlying reasons to, to do this on a daily basis and and work with them to get the help they need because oftentimes bullies really do need help. There is something underlying in their life that they're struggling with as well. 
It's interesting when you look at it from mm-hmm. the other side. Uh, I'm going to tell people that they can pick up My Life and Walking the Talk, both authored by you. And, of course, mm-hmm. bullyingendshere.ca. Thanks so much for your time, Tad. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for help spreading the word. Have Thank a wonderful you. rest of your day. Tad Milmine, founder of Bullying Ends Here. Oh, it's chilly out there. Maybe it brings out thoughts of curling up and just putting a nice blanket over you and reading a good book. And if you're looking for a great book for yourself or maybe someone you love heading into the holidays, our friend Ryan Smith, co-owner of Owl's Nest Books, is back. Welcome, Ryan. Thanks for being in this morning. Uh, Thanks for having me. Love being on. Well, we love getting great ideas on book reads from you. And maybe, you know, giving a book is a great gift over the Christmas holidays to yourself or somebody else you love. So what are you reading right now, first of all? What's your thing? I just finished uh, Karma Brown's new one, What Wild Women Want. Ooh. Let's see if I can do this. Here we go. Okay. Um, she is a fantastic writer. She's from out east. Her books really focus on the importance of communication in a relationship. Uh, it's wonderfully organic. The relationships, the... Um, challenges they end up facing and you really get to see where communication may have helped and you can see where uh, that opportunity was missed Um, but it's very organic it's something that any one of us could run into in our own relationships so um, really great that way really great story around that Um, absolutely a huge fan of karma brown excellent do you you have to know her work or is this one of her first this is her second her first one was recipe for a perfect wife uh, which i found very helpful I read it in my first year of marriage, uh, so there was a lot of great lessons for me there as a husband. <laughs> You're now a chef. Yeah, like what to do. Um, great recipes throughout both of her books as well, which is okay. really fun. Um, this one centered around uh, the 1970s, um, uh, sort of a women's retreat, and uh, and then present day, a woman finding sort of the records of this women's retreat and learning um, the importance of looking out for yourself uh, in a relationship and not always compromising on everything, that you do have to watch out for your own goals as well and work as a team towards your individual goals. Love it. Lessons and a good read at the same yeah. time. Fun. Okay, let's talk about Christmas shopping. You know, if you want maybe to give a, a great gift, um, a book is always a wonderful idea. Tell us what you brought in. What are your picks? Uh, well, I brought in uh, some great biographies actually. Um, Giving a book uh, is more than just, this is something I think you'll enjoy, you know, or like a sweater, ooh, you'll be warm, enjoy. Um, A book says, this is a narrative that connected with me, this is an author that has inspired me, and I hope it will do the same for you, and this is something we can connect over. And biographies especially are a great way to do that. Uh, So the first one I want to talk about is Where the Falcon Flies by Adam Schultz. And Adam Schultz is the Canadian Indiana Jones. Like, this guy is an academic. He is writing all these great papers on geography and biology and all that. But he is a hands-on academic. And so in this one, he um, is interested in the falcon um, migration route. And he follows the migration route from um, where he is in Ontario all the way up north in the Arctic. It's a 3,400-kilometer journey that he takes by canoe and walking. Yeah, like he... Absolutely amazing. Cool. So if you like a good adventure, check out whatever Adam Schultz is recently doing. He is, he's wild. That's neat. It's, I like the sounds of that. It's yeah. really difficult because uh, when you're giving a book as a gift, and my wife reads voraciously. She can, I think she does something like a book every week or two, just nonstop throughout the entire year. She has them stacked up beside the bed. Mm-hmm. People have tried to give her books. Myself, I'll give her a gift card or she'll uh, say, here's a book I'm thinking about. And I'll, I'll go get it, whatever. But some, she has a one friend in particular who gifts her books that she likes, 
but it's not my wife's taste. So she can't. She doesn't want to say I don't right. like that book. Yep. So how important is it to to really know what you're, who the person is that you're giving a book to? Oh, that's huge. Especially um, we find with with kids, especially because they can be quite fickle with what they're reading. Mm-hmm. And just because it's something that you really yeah. enjoyed um, doesn't mean it's going to connect with them in the same way. Um, so that gift receipt can be very important <laughs> in helping them connect with the book that will mean something to them. Truly. Okay, let's keep going on your okay. biographies. What else do you have? Uh, Dave Grohl's The Storyteller oh. is out in paperback. Um, you know, uh, the lead singer for Foo Fighters, drummer for Nirvana. He's just a fun, great guy. Um, really great to get a look behind the scenes and what his everyday life looks like. Um, the paperback has some extras, including the um, first time he met Paul McCartney, um, uh, playlists for when he's taking road trips, barbecuing in the backyard. Uh, so just a really fun behind-the-scenes look of Dave Grohl. Cool. Yeah. What else you got? I've got um, Passionate Mothers and Powerful Sons. This is more of a historical biography on the lives of the mothers of Winston Churchill and uh, Roosevelt. Um, two extremely different people. Churchill's mother was outgoing, society woman. Uh, Roosevelt's mother was more of a quiet, um, keep-to-herself person, and yet both raised powerful leaders who rose to the challenges of World War II. Um, so a very interesting read if you're into the more historical stuff. Um, and, of course, Ken Dryden um, from uh, Hockey yeah. Hall of Fame legend uh, has written a very interesting uh, look at his past um, the, called The Class. And this is a look at the people he went to high school with and where they ended up in life and just the importance that education was to all of them. So that one's really, really neat. Um, sort of a little different from the hockey takes that he usually does. Um, if... Biographies aren't your thing. Um, we've got some great mysteries are out. Um, I jo- love a good mystery. Jonathan Whitelaw might be the next one for you. He is a Scottish author who has moved to Grand Prairie of all places huh. and uh, just loves it there. Um, so if you're a fan of the Thursday Murder Club, he's written uh, something sort of similar uh, and exciting cozy. The first one was the Bingo Hall Detectives, uh, which is a small town and a murder occurs and the, some friends from the Bingo Hall try to solve it. And the newest one just out last month uh, is the, villi- the Village Hall Vendetta and uh, a piece of... Um, Modern art is brought to the town by uh, by a member, um, but there's all this superstition and um, speculation around behind it on how legitimate is it and all that. So um, more of an art mystery, which is really neat. Um, for our fans of Chris Hadfield, his newest one is yeah, out, yeah, yeah, The right. Defector. Um, so his first one, The Apollo Murders, of course, was all about space and all his stuff in space. But I didn't know that he was also a, like a test pilot for fighter jets. Yeah. Like, what can't this guy do, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so this one is all about uh, an experimental jet and um, a defector, of course. Um, yeah, just, do, again, exciting, thrilling. Do you, do you know, Ryan, does he write his own Does He, write his own he, he writes these, yeah. He doesn't so. have a ghostwriter. No, nope, it's, he it's him. Yeah, so I'm waiting for him for his latest souffle recipe <laughs> or, you know, paint up, you know. Exactly. But he writes it with a space pen so he can write it. <laughs> I gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. I, I have to ask you this because I yeah. know we, we, do, we do a lot of business stories on this program and cover a lot of businesses, business is tough for, for everybody right now and you're in a unique situation because we can buy books online in, in four seconds we've got these big box stores but hearing you talk about these books and hearing the passion and yeah, the knowledge yeah. you have uh, let's talk about like you know the staff at Owls Nest Books and the experience and what is the advantage of being a boutique shop like you because just hearing you talk I want to read every single one of these right. books oh, is, yeah. is that something when you hire people you make sure that they have that same passion exactly that's the very first question is what have you been reading how do you 
recommend books to someone who walks in um, because that that's really what we offer is the store is small are we we focus on books the staff knows the books and so you come in and say I'm looking for something along these lines and no matter how yeah no matter how obscure your request they're going to have two or three recommendations along the lines for what you're looking for. I love it. We got a text in from Cassie who said, I love Dave Grohl's biography. It was awesome. So a good pick there. I think you have one more book. I have one more. Um, just the holiday season is a great time to give picture books, especially to a younger mm-hmm. um, gift recipient. Uh, Dina Cipherling's The Language of Flowers. She's a local author and illustrator, and it's just this gorgeous picture book um, about this bee traveling to all the different flowers, learning about them, um, and just beautiful illustrations of all these different flowers and it's the sort of book that lives on a shelf and is passed down uh, again and again it's not the and sort is of thing read just, looked at over yeah, and over and exactly, over and over yeah. i noticed there's no britney spears in that pile of I, biographies I, I i i had to make a call <laughs> it's tough <laughs> i think she That's might have call. enough publicity yeah, yeah. at this point without <laughs> ryan so well thank you and it might be on a lot of people's lists too uh, maybe even my wife's list it's uh, yeah. fantastic i guess oh, yeah. uh, ryan thank you so much our favorite bookworm and just in time for the holidays uh, happy holidays to you you too. Thanks so much. Ryan Smith, co-owner of Owl's Nest Books. You can find out more about his organization at owlsnestbooks.com.